Hey everyone, it's Alan Schimmel, DevOps.com, Security Boulevard, and we're here on another DevOps chat. It's a DevSecOps chat, pre-RSA, special edition. Happy to be joined by two of my oldest friends in the security business. Uh, the redhead, Are you saying we're old? Yeah, I am. Okay. <laughs> the redhead, Rich Mogul, and, and, and one of my best buddies, Mike Rothman. Rich, Mike, welcome. What's up? What's up? So, and, and I should mention, Rich and Mike are, are co-founders of a hot new cloud security DevSecOps company called DisruptOps, and they've just been uh, announced as a finalist in the uh, RSA 2019 Sandbox Innovation, or is it Innovation Sandbox? Innovation sandbox, yes, Innovation Sandbox. Yep. And, and you guys are one of 10 companies in there. And, um, you know, you look back, I, I think there's about 12 or 14 years of Sandbox now. When you look back at some of the companies who've made the finals and who have eventually won as well, it, there, there are some pretty impressive companies that have gone on to do some pretty amazing things. Uh, there are. And, you know, first we would like to thank the Academy for this, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, great, great honor. Uh, no, obviously it's, it, it really is a, a great opportunity for Disrupt Ops. It, it, it really is flattering and, and such a, a validation of a lot of the work that we've been doing for a long time. Uh, and we're really excited to kind of talk about innovation within the context of security operations because the problem is a lot of the security business has always been driven up on you know shiny new boxes and blinky lights and fancy algorithms and what we've done is we've forgotten about the core aspects of optimizing the daily motions that security operations people have to go through and it's become just a huge, huge problem. So our innovation is really going to be painted from the context of how do we scale up a lot of the security operational motions that you need as you move towards DevSecOps where you really can't have carbon-based beings uh, in your pipelines. Uh, how do you really leverage automation in a much more strategic uh, and efficient manner uh, in order to meet your goals? Yeah, our name is far from a mistake. I mean, there's a, a reason we're calling ourselves Disrupt Ops. Yeah, I mean, and, and disruption and disrupt is a, you know, somewhat of an overused term today across, not just in security, but across everything in business. Everybody wants to be the Uber of this and the this of that and disrupt, disrupt, disrupt. But let, let's, let's take that, you know, path for a while, Rich, and you know, when we talk about disrupt ops, there's multiple disruptions here. One disruption is, is as, as Mike says, we're going to disrupt the way security ops folks have traditionally had to operate, which is, let's face it, their life sucked. You know, it, it's not easy. It's not easy being a security operations guy, whether you're in the cloud or on the prem for the last 20, 25, 30 years. It's a lot like shoveling sand against the tide, right? So we, we want to disrupt that. But secondly, I, you know, there's also a, a bigger disruption there, and that is in just fundamentally how we're going to do this security stuff. Are we going to take the carbon-based life forms out of it? I don't know if we ever take them all out. No, I mean, yeah, the the way we, we sort of view it is that there's a couple of things that that – 
changes being forced upon the security profession and how we operate. And a lot of this is obviously driven by cloud and DevOps and the speed that those operate on. And so the goal isn't just to disrupt for disruption's sake and to break how people are right. doing things. You know, the real goal is, I mean, the, the problem we sat back to solve, you know, years ago when we first started thinking about this was, hey, how can we enable like this skill set of traditional security people and let them get their jobs done in this new reality without them having to go back to elementary school again? And that's where we started under, you know, realizing how can we better integrate security into a lot of these other processes, but also add value to ops and at the same time be reducing friction for everyone. And I know those sound like generic terms, but it's, you know, we've actually narrowed this down to some specific operational models and how we could, you know, embed this and use the technology of automation to support it, where when it really it's not about automating everything away so that you don't need security people. It's about making security people more efficient. and getting rid of all the stuff where they're not using their security brain. So letting them focus on what they are truly exceptional at, as opposed to all the other garbage that they have to waste their time doing on a day-to-day basis. So let me, let me, let me play devil's advocate, Jane, you ignorant, but you know, that, that's always, that's always what we hear is, Hey, don't be don't be afraid of this change of this disruption because we're going to make your life better. We're going to free you up from doing the mundane so you could you could focus in on higher level stuff that makes you more valuable to your uh, No 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 Alan you yeah you that you nailed it on that because we're not saying now you get to be a policy wonk. You are still a technology professional at least for the ones that are dealing with things at the technology level. But For example, I've been doing stuff in Amazon for 10 years at this point, hands-on. I can barely keep up with what they're doing and having to translate like my skills over to Azure. Mm -hmm. I know what the processes are. I know what needs to be done, but knowing exactly which API calls and which boxes to click and all of those little pieces of it, that's the stuff that slows me down and impedes my ability to get things done. So we're not, you kind of actually hit a pet peeve of mine there, which is we're in security. There's a lot of you know, people that want to fully abstract themselves away and kind of focus more on the the policy piece. And that's fine if that's the route you want to go. But I love technology and I think a lot of other people do and still want to be more involved. So how do we actually codify that and allow them to bring those skills across again without them just having to re-educate themselves at such a low level because of all the differences working in cloud? And it's only one piece of what we're we're doing. Want to. If they want, yeah, you just that, and I think that's kind of the point that we're trying to get to. Because again, we talk to a lot of different people, a lot of different skill sets, a lot of different um, waypoints on their cloud journey, uh, and there are a large group of folks that don't want to learn the innards and the, you know, kind of lower level cloud vernaculars. Rich said he's having a hard time keeping up with that stuff. What they really want is a way to abstract out that need uh, and be able to just say, I need to close down open access ports, or I need to make sure that I don't have stale identity keys sitting around, or that I don't have buckets that are open to the world. Um, And I don't really want to worry as much about how I do that 
in AWS, right? They know how to do that in their firewalls. They know how to configure, you know, again, their VPNs. They don't necessarily want to translate that stuff to AWS. Again, that's another key requirement uh, of an automation platform that caters to this next generation of infrastructure uh, in the cloud. It's that if you want to get into those innards, you certainly can do that, but you don't have to. Uh, and again, we get back to a scaling thing, right? Every discussion that we have, whether it's when we're doing a public talk, whether it's when we're working with a customer, it always comes back to the inability to get the skills that they need in order to meet the requirement. I mean, Rich and I were on a call literally an hour ago, and that's what one of the things they brought up. Where can I find people to do this? Uh, Rich's answer of, oh, well, you're kind of screwed. Um, you, you know, they, they, <laughs> they didn't love that, but they, were, they appreciated the fact that we were honest with them. Um, well, that's and the those were my exact words, too. Yeah. No, they were. That, I, I, without a doubt, that was, those were his exact No, guys, you know what? I, uh, it was Friday. It's Friday today. We taped this on a Friday. I went to the gym this morning at 6.30, and I was working out with a gal who often comes. It's like a, a boot camp class. This woman's a recruiter for um, ah, one of the big guys, Booz Allen, one of them. And she's looking. She's just looking for Python Hadoop developers in San Jose. They want to pay two forty a year, and she can't <laughs> find them. She yep. can't find them because... Oh, because they need to be a U.S. citizen because it's booze. They're doing government work. I have no comment. No, we're not going to get into the politics of this, but but she can't find. And, and Python with Hadoop, that's not, it's not security, but that's not exactly top of the line developers today, right? Well, I mean, you know, fairly we, front of the mill. We have it. You know, security has been short-staffed for a long time. Ever. I mean, yeah, I mean, we've been doing this 20 years. And first, it was because nobody paid enough attention to us. And then it was because there weren't enough of us. And there's now a lot of security professionals who are just overwhelmed on a day-to-day -day basis with the just the daily operational task that they need to be done, need to get done uh, in their traditional environments. And then all of a sudden, cloud and DevOps get thrown at these people. And it's it's not that they're not smart. Okay, some of them aren't smart, but it's not that all of them aren't smart or most of them, and it's not that they they lack interest. They just don't have the time. And the to learn the skills you need to actually implement what you know is the right thing to do. Uh, let me give you an example. Amazon, there's the Center for Internet Security Benchmarks. They've got them for Amazon, for Azure, for Google. And if I look at the Amazon ones alone, and that's where we spend most of our uh, most time on uh, AWS with our when I'm actually doing assessment work, uh, it, to manually implement that in an environment, like you need to know a lot. I mean, you need to know a lot in terms sure. of how Amazon's wiring actually functions. A security person should be able to look at that and go, I understand these requirements. I know, you know what, maybe I don't know how to exactly work a security group, but I know what the rules should be. They need something to translate that knowledge and get the job done for them. But then the other piece of that the other part of the disruption is not just carrying the skills over and the knowledge over because there's that that skills and knowledge are there and the security people get it. They just get hung up on actually how to implement it. There's the speed that it all operates at that's disrupted the way that we have done security for so long because we've relied on kind of just natural inhibitors in you know, we've got the opportunity. Things don't change so fast in traditional infrastructure. So we've got the ability to block and tackle 
And it's not that we're getting in the way of people. It's that our job is to manage risk. And to manage risk, you need to understand the risk. So you need to have time to go through those cycles. And we just don't have that same amount of time with cloud and DevOps. I mean, the world that the three of us have been living in for the past years. And yep. so that's the other piece of this is how can we level up security, not just in terms of bringing the knowledge over and the skills at that technical level, but giving them the ability to keep up and doing so in a way that doesn't interfere with ops. And there's some like really cool things that we've done on the future side to help enable that. I'm talking about that in a second. So guys, you know, I, I, I analogize this to QA, right? DevOps and, and Agile and, and the whole CI, CD pipeline thing has really turned QA on its head, right? And if, if, if the security folks were the redheaded stepchild of, of this whole process, the QA folks were like once removed, you know? And, and their, their game has changed, right? How much of QA today is automated testing, right? And, and, and you know, it, the QA people spend more time writing their scripts to run automated QA tests than they do actually running the test. You know, the tests are all automated as part of that pipeline and it gets done prior to deployment. Um, I, I see a, a similar future in security. It's more about kind of knowing where to put the screw rather than actually screwing in the screw. Without a doubt. I mean, you want the machines to do what the machines are good at. But one of the things that I think is, a, you know, and it's not even a misconception, but it, it's, it's a point of confusion when you say the terms DevSecOps is that what we really have are two separate practices, right? There's DevSec, and that's a lot of what, you know, kind of folks have focused on thus far. That's the shift number, left. Right, shift left, you know, that, that number of, of folks that, are, that will be uh, competing with uh, or against uh, in the sandbox, you know, focus on the DevSec side. What's really underappreciated and has been undertooled uh, has been that SecOps. Well, ops is always part. underappreciated and an undertooled. Right, make, well, make, not, not by security people. It's just, yeah. you know, that, but it, it's security because this is a common right. motion. Because now it's a common motion from dev to ops, and security is trying to figure out where they Now it is. It, it traditionally That's hasn't been, Mike. Right? De the devs are the, are, the, are the alpha predators in this food chain, or have been. Right now they are. They, they are now, but they, they haven't always been. I mean, when I first started it was uh it was the, the dbas database well, admins yeah, back in gartner well, days yeah and, and look where they are now but that's all <laughs> but, but but this happens there's, there's about cycles. That on a different podcast yes it, it all comes round and round you're absolutely right but mike to your point about devsecops let me let me tell you and i'm i'm a security folk like you are but i've been doing this devops thing yeah. a while now here's my honest take on that the whole term's full of shit there's no devsecops there's DevOps. Security people got to get with the program and work with DevOps, right? Putting second, and, and I'm as guilty of it as anyone because I've been doing it for five years at RSA. We put second because too many security people say, I have nothing to fucking do with that DevOps stuff because security is more important. But it's all, we've got to, it's DevOps. And, and it's not just DevOps in terms of Dev and Ops. It's DevOps more is almost a, 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 zen, a Zen term, right? Where things are flowing, things are automated, things are, I don't want to go all Eastern on you here, but you know what I'm saying? And security has, is getting with that. You want to call that DevSecOps? I don't really, I don't care. I don't agree with it, right? I think security has to find its place in that DevOps world. Well, I, I said years ago, 
I, I did a thing on Twitter that there is no DevSecOps, there is just DevOps. And mm-hmm. I got a lot of pushback on that and, and kind of walked through and explained my meaning. And that is what I believe. And I think that's aligned with what you say. And uh, in fact, a lot of the this is things that we are trying to build a platform to support in terms yep. of not those team separations. However, I do think we need to call it DevSecOps for now because the we've got a mind share thing that we are dealing with. Yes. And there's the philosophy of DevOps. And you know what? If I see DevOps, I'm a dev. I know it. If I'm an ops person, I know it. I know I fit there. And security is on the outside because if you look at reporting structures, security is on the outside. And they report yeah. somewhere else. So I think we do need that term. I don't think it's anything different, but I think it's a, gosh, I hate to get all like inclusive and kumbaya, but it's a term of, of inclusiveness. No, Rich, I, I, you know what? At RSA, if you look over the last five years, I started calling this thing rugged DevOps that I do on Monday there. I started by calling it rugged DevOps, and then I didn't really like that. It sounded kind of too low and west side of Manhattan. Yeah, that's because uh, we were all listening to a particular uh, yeah. person with a loud Wind voice. So. Yeah, but but still, it was a nice name. And then we went to DevSecOps and DevSecOps days now, of course. I, I, hear, I agree with you 100%, Rich. We, we need to keep it until, until things are a little bit more mature, let's call it. Mike, I want to ask you a, a question, though. And, and Rich, feel free to chime in. At some point, though, and you both have touched on it, we need to more closely integrate our security teams and our security people with these DevOps teams, not just the ops teams, but the DevOps teams, because it all becomes sort of one pipeline and, you know, and and how software is. And, And I think that a way to think about that is you know, going native, basically. And that that obviously has a lot of different connotations. Uh, We talk about cloud native, but this is really about going native into business IT and understanding what the business requirement is for the cloud stack that is being built and then designing the security controls that will protect that data. Not all data, right, which is how we've always thought about it, a universal security service where everything fits in and is secured, which, by the way, has failed miserably. So what we try to do is shrink it down from the standpoint of what do we need in order to secure this specific environment? And again, that's where the automation platform becomes so much more important because then you can set different policies for different pipelines in different projects, possibly even in different cloud providers. You using different technologies, but you're able to enforce a consistent set of policies that adhere to the corporate environment, uh, but do it in a very micro perspective relative to what that application uniquely needs. Uh, And that's something that we haven't been able to do in traditional infrastructure, but the programmatic mechanisms that drive DevOps and by proxy 
you know, the security aspect uh, of DevOps, and we can call that DevSecOps, but it really is a transition. And, and that's one of these things that, again, is, a, is just a common misconception. It's the old writer's creed, right? I would have made it shorter if I only had the time, right? Yeah. I would have made it easier if I only had the time. And that's really what we're trying to do. That's what really we think our key innovation is, is making a lot of these very difficult, very complicated uh, security operational motions really as simple as clicking a button. Um, and we're pretty close. We're, we're very excited about that. Cool. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, people make uh, kind of these promises a lot, but then what ends up is happening is you've got to, you know, write your own code or it's not going to fit your environment or it doesn't keep up because a lot of, you know, security vendors, let's be honest, it, their products can be kind of static. And, you know, Mike and I, we view this as a, as a content business and as much as anything else where in understanding the leading edge best practices and coding those and doing so in a way that allows the flexibility for teams to adopt those with minimum friction without breaking things in their environment. Uh, it, it, I mean, it is a huge challenge. I do not want to make that sound simple, but we think that that's you know, really one of the core innovations that we're bringing to the table on this. So guys, we've pontificated for 15 minutes. We've created the edges of what DisruptOps is. But we're going to have people listening to this who say, okay, I really want to know more about the product, though. How, how do I, as a user, how do I, as a security company, harness this thing? What do I do? What do I need to know? How do I do it? What exactly? Give us a little bit. Put us in the driver's seat on this a little bit. We're behind the UX now. What are we seeing? What are, what's happening? Yep. So the first thing is, is it's really easy to get up and running with it. Uh, you go ahead, create an account on the console. We're actually doing beta testing right now. So people interested in that can reach out. We're almost finished with beta and getting ready for general availability. Uh, when they go ahead and log in, uh, we are today an Amazon specific tool. We are adding capabilities for other cloud platforms. First thing you do is you need to connect up your account. That is literally, I think, a, what, Mike, a three-click, maybe a four-click process yep. uh, to go ahead and add the accounts. They don't need to, like, type anything. They don't need to copy-paste policies. We've got a really cool, um, really, really smooth provisioning uh, process we use for that that gives us permission to do what we need to do. And I won't go into it now, but uh, for the, the security wonks out there, we actually have a very dynamic permissioning system so that we can always keep ourselves down to least privilege using all sorts of policy boundaries and things like that that are otherwise invisible to the user so they don't have to manage that stuff. You go in uh, and you pick uh, the automations you want. So we call these things ops. Everything from don't let a S3 bucket become public to really much more complex ones like find uh, any IAM, uh, IAM roles or users or groups that are subject to privilege escalation or build out my entire monitoring system with a couple of default settings. Uh, and you go ahead, you turn those things on. Uh, and then in the background, they'll start analyzing your environment. They'll figure out when things aren't set the way that they're supposed to be set. And you have the option. You can turn it on to automatically fix those, or you can go ahead and choose a choose to create an issue in the system, uh, and then you click on it, and then you can manually trigger the same remediations. Now, there's a bunch more in it, but that's really the heart of what we think are the guardrails, where you get to configure these, and you get to scope them down to conditions like, only do it this way in this account if it has these tags, or apply this to everything that I do. You can treat things like dev uh, production and testing environments differently. 
than throwing one kind of generic set of policies out there. You can turn on and off what you want, or you can just turn on all the defaults and we do all the hard work for you. So, Rich, you see, you used the magic word there. We don't have to drink, but you said guardrails. Yep. Um, I, I've heard... I've heard the term, you know, security guardrails before. Um, Mike, I'm sure that that term didn't go out with your approval. I know you long enough. No, we we came up with it, Alan. The problem is we started using it internally before like six to 12 months ago when it became a big deal. Mm -hmm. uh, that was kind of uh, internally. But if you want, I can give you an example of what a guardrail looks like as opposed to a blocker. Okay, let's talk about that. So here's an example. Suppose you have a rule that um, you should never have an administrative server or a database server with port 22 or 3306 uh, exposed to the internet. Well, as a guardrail, we'll do a few things. First of all, we'll let you know, is it fully public or is it exposed to part of the internet? Or maybe it's got a security group rule that allows access from anywhere, but it turns out it's on a private subnet, so it's not actually exposed. So we figure out that out and we'll create different kinds of issues based on those. And then being a guardrail, the options are not just knock that thing off the internet, but you can actually set rules that it would automatically, or again, if you want to be the human in the link, you can go ahead and click the button to go, go instead to restrict it to known IP addresses that you load up into our system. So you've got your corporate approved IP addresses. The scenario for this is a developer may spin up a jump box because they're at Starbucks and they're trying to get their job done and they're supposed to be on the VPN, but they got lazy and they opened it up from where they were. This would go ahead and actually detect that and lock it down to corporate IP addresses. So they're not like kicked off. They're just going to make sure they're on the VPN and then they can still go ahead and access that system. To make it even better, you can put a delay on that action. So if you say, ooh, somebody for spun up an asset with the wrong tags, we want to get rid of that. Well, we can have that so it won't get rid of it for a week. It'll create an issue. It'll send out notifications so somebody's got time to fix it. And then at the week, it would automatically take that action or whatever arbitrary deadline you, you put into place there. So it actually allows security and operations to kind of work together without fighting each other off. So that's what we consider a guardrail. We've got the rails on the side, kind of keeps you in the middle but it gives you the ability to kind of adjust your, your flexibility to have the softest landing possible without actually creating more security risk. Fantastic. All right, Rich, you've been talking too much. We need Mike to talk a bit. Um, so Mike, go to market here. What, what does this thing look like? It, it's a, it's, is it a SaaS? Would you call it SaaS? Or is it, it yeah, it's absolutely a SaaS. So, so as Rich said, I mean, you know, our provisioning process and deployment process is, is you know, a couple of clicks. You know, we connect to um, a customer account. We do the initial set of um, assessments, you know, and then we start putting some of those and enforcing some of those policies uh, in place uh, as guardrails. So it really is a, a try to buy type of thing, which would think we think that fits into the cloud and DevOps motion a lot better, which is use it in your environment, get value. Then we talk about, you know, some type of economic transaction. But, you know, right now it's uh, we've got a, a sign up sheet uh, to get access uh, to our early access program uh, up on our website. Um, and that would be the way to start the process. But but over time, it is going to be a, you know, again, connected into your system, um, hands off, lots of, you know, educational videos, uh, use it get value. And then, you know, when it's time, uh, you know, do a transaction. Good stuff. So guys, 
I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask, what about Securosis? We are still moving along because we got to pay the bills. So <laughs> it turns out when you found a company, um, nobody puts this in the books, but you're not like allowed to take a salary. And um, so uh, we are uh, basically- You've been hanging out with the wrong people, Rich. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Why, did you tell him that? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we, we're, we're doubled up on jobs right now, but- people get worried when they hear that we actually have there's 15 people in disrupt ops um we have half the executive team is full-time and not splitting time like we are uh although to be honest i'm working full-time on both at this point so um we you know with our ceo our cto uh are fully dedicated over on the disrupt ops side the development teams everything else we're we're not wearing they're none of them are wearing two hats uh just happens to be the two guys on your phone right now are the ones that uh, that have to wear two hats. But yeah, we're cruising along. We're doing uh, with Securosis, a lot of work with the Cloud Security Alliance, training programs, assessments. And what's really interesting is we'll probably always do some of that because uh, it is about, uh, well, I'm VP of product on the Disrupt Ops side, and I get to see more with the work that I'm doing on Securosis. It's like a, a dream for any product manager in terms of going into real environments, doing real assessments, and uh, actually seeing how these organizations are working day to day. Excellent. Um, you know, it's funny. <laughs> I picked the two of you because we had never really done a podcast before. Uh, been, it, we've been doing podcasts actually before, Mike. There was a Securosis, right? Yeah, that's right. Yep. That's right. Security Insight. It's been a, old school. It has been a trip, but guys, listen, we're, we're on over a half hour and we probably need to wrap up. First of all, congratulations on the uh, RSA Innovation Sandbox finalist. Whether you know what they say, whether you win, just getting it to this level is, is quite an accomplishment, but sure it would be nice to see you two guys win. We'd like to win. Yeah, we're, we're okay winning. Yeah. So come see us at the Innovation Sandbox. That's Monday afternoon um, at yeah. the Marriott Marquis in the Yerba Buena Ballroom. Uh, but also, we are going to be at your event, Alan. Why don't you, you know. Yeah, I, I don't, you know. DevSec yeah, so all day Monday is DevSecOps Day. And uh, DevSecOps Days, we are also in the Moscone South, I think. If it's north, I apologize. But we're in one of the bigger Moscone ones right near Cloud Security Alliance. They're usually not far from us. We've got a really nice big room there. And, and we'll usually get 1,000 or 1,500 people coming in during the day. But we have an outstanding lineup of speakers this year. Um, some old, some new faces, you know, to the community. Rich, I think you're on a panel there, right? Pretty, yep. Yeah, pretty I think I'm on the uh, closing panel. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty deep path. I mean, there's some good names speaking there. I mean, the one thing, I can make fun of the word DevSecOps all I want. The community that is congealing around it is first rate. I mean, there, there are some, some really smart people, and that's always good. And then also, guys, uh, we, you know, I'll be on broadcast row all week. And I know I have some time scheduled with the both of you, and we'll be doing a, a nice 30-minute video, so come dress nice. Um, and, and that'll be up shortly thereafter. So, and then Rich, you, are you speaking at any other RSA sessions this year? I am. I'm, uh, doing one, uh, don't 
lift and sh or uh, lift and shift versus lift and pray. So it's about migrating your existing workloads up into cloud and different lift and shift strategies. Mike, how about you? I am not doing any other speaking agents. I will be at the America's Growth Capital Conference on Monday morning, moderating a panel, uh, but I'm not doing any other speaking. You know, too, too many people to see, babies to kiss, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. I know where you'll be hanging out. Um, the disaster but, recovery breakfast? Yeah. On Thursday morning. Thursday morning. You know, someone tried to invite me to another breakfast Thursday morning. I said I have a previous oh. engagement. But... Uh, Anyway, yes, no, America's Growth Capital Conference is another kind of staple of the of the RSA. Maria Lewis, Guzamel, and team puts on an amazing uh, amazing day of, of, of uh, sessions. Anyway, but guys, seriously, thank you so much for, for being our guest. Best of luck with Disrupt Ops. We're, we're looking forward to really following your success here. All Thanks, right? Alan. Thanks bet. a lot, Alan. Hey, Rich Mogul, Mike Rothman, co-founders at Disrupt Ops, a uh, RSA Innovation Sandbox finalist this year, 2019, and just all around great security folks. This is Alan Schimmel. You've just listened to another DevOps chat. Have a great day, everyone. Mm -hmm.